So you probably are aware by now that we use Anchor.fm here on this podcast for COVID-19 PPC. And I wanted to tell you about Anchor.fm because this is actually the second uh, podcast hosting software I've used. And um, I really like it. I love how easy it is to use. I love the fact that it's free. And they have so many tools here like music and all these different options that help you record and edit your podcast either from your phone or your PC or your computer. And then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And then also you can even make money from your podcast with minimum, with no minimum listenership. And it's all you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're new to podcasting and you're interested in um, getting started, I recommend Anchor.fm. So what you can do is download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started um, that's my recommendation. And, um, you know, after almost a year of podcasting, I'm really glad I found Anchor just recently. It just makes things so much easier. And, uh, yeah, come check out anchor.fm. Welcome to season two of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. In these episodes, we share international stories about the pandemic around the world, what it looks like in everyday lives, as well as what it looks like from the eyes of researchers and professionals who work on controlling the pandemic. This podcast is designed for information to be translatable from epidemiologists, emergency medical professionals, and those who do work on the front lines and what it looks like in everyday family culture on planet Earth during this historic moment. Before we begin, I wanted to reach out and let you know about the Public Health Podcast Network. This is a network of community, global, and environmental health podcasters who are out there to share health information. If you're interested in learning more about existing public health podcasts that are out there, if you are a podcaster and you have a public health-related podcast, we would love to include you in our directory of community, global, and environmental health podcasts. And if you are interested in learning about podcasting, join our email list as in the coming months, we will be featuring more information and guidance on how you can improve your resume, get your name out there, market your skills, and learn more about podcasting for health equity in your community. For more information, visit publichealthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to this new episode of COVID-19 Public Health Policy and Culture. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno. Happy summer. We are in the summer of 2021 now. I believe it's around the first day of summer at the moment. And we are currently seeing this trend as it relates to covid in the United States. For example, in California, where we have recently reopened everything, and it's kind of exciting. It's nice to be able to see everyone again and things like that. Many of us are vaccinated. However, many people still are not vaccinated. I recently had the opportunity to work with the LA County Mo- Mobile Vaccine Unit and to help get some more people vaccinated in more remote communities of Los Angeles County. We are seeing a plateauing of the number of people being vaccinated and 
And unfortunately, we're finding that there's still some people who haven't been able to take time off work, off their busy schedule to be able to get vaccinated. And at the same time, there are still people who are of the belief that the vaccine was not fully researched well, and that they have some trust issues as it relates to the vaccine, that they predict some sort of um, long-term disease that might emerge in the future. Um, although that's not researched and unfounded, they have identified potential diseases that could happen, things like that. And then also focusing in on like the very small percentages of side effects as it relates to the vaccine in comparison to the much higher percentages of people who have been infected with COVID and the high percentages of people who had been hospitalized. So if you have not been vaccinated yet, I highly advise you to get that time and get vaccinated and at least do your research to find out why this vaccine matters. It's not a luxury for some of us. It's not a luxury for people who live in certain countries and in different socioeconomic statuses, in certain socioeconomic statuses where they have to work in huge spaces filled with people and in less ventilated areas. Getting that vaccine can be the difference between literal life and death as people look at their work circumstances and their risk levels. So it is not necessarily going to be a luxury for many people. In this episode, we're actually talking to Pamela P. Martinez of the University of Illinois Champaign. She's going to be sharing with us some of the socioeconomic impacts of COVID-19 in Santiago, Chile. So I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you as we do see this continuing emergence of the pandemic infections in South America at the moment. It's a huge concern. And I really appreciate the fact that this work was recently published in Science Magazine and that people are doing the research to identify and pinpoint the socioeconomic impact of COVID infection and death in different countries around the world. This information does need to be shared and researchers and policymakers be aware of this information so that we can design societies we can design programs and services that can help to more equitably serve the quality of life of people around the world to get through this pandemic. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Pamela P. Martinez. Today we're talking about the socioeconomic status of living during the pandemic in Chile. So we are speaking to Dr. Pamela P. Martinez of the University of Illinois in Champaign. Right. And she's going to be sharing with us her recent publication in the Science Journal, the Journal of Science, about this very topic in Chile during the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Martinez. Hi, April. Thank you for this opportunity to share my research and my opinions about the current pandemic. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and the departments that you're affiliated with, the work that you're doing at the university. Sure. So I am currently an assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology and the Department of Statistics. I did my PhD in ecology and evolution, but I have always studied the transmission of infectious diseases. And previously, before I moved here in Champaign, I was at Harvard doing a postdoc in the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics, which is a center that is part of the School of Public Health dedicated to 
uh, do modeling of infectious diseases. Part of the work that I'm going to be talking today started last year when I was still a postdoc and I moved in September to Champaign to start my new position. I think that's an important point to mention that research can take some time mm -hmm. and it's, it's wonderful to see that your work has been able to be completed, published and released throughout the postdoc and during the pandemic years into your current position. So please tell us a little bit about your current paper, the current mm -hmm. article that was published in Science. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this started as a service, sort of. Um, early on last year, we had access to mobility data from Facebook. Facebook has an initiative called Facebook Data for Good that they have been releasing movement, human movement data that is anonymized um, in order to understand the effect of the current pandemic. So we, we said, okay, why we don't help other in, like governments outside the US to understand what's going on? And I contacted a faculty there in Chile, Pablo Marquette, that is one of the co-authors of the study, to ask whether he could help us connecting with the government in Chile. And we started to produce weekly reports in which we show movement human movement in the city, Santiago, the capital of Chile, and see how that was uh, changing over time based on the lockdown uh, policies that the government was implementing. And early on doing those type of reports, we realized that um, the, the socioeconomic effect was very striking, that people that lived in poorer neighborhoods were not able to stay at home as much as those that were living in the richer areas of the city. And later in, in collaboration with Mauricio Santillana and Gonzalo Mena, who are more, uh, were more interested in the statistician aspect of the paper, like the statistical aspect of the paper, we decided to unite forces and work together in what it is the final product that is a very well uh, executed scientific article. So tell us a little bit more about the methods that you used. So you mentioned your background in statistical modeling. Mm -hmm. I see some elements of GIS here. Uh, tell us about yeah. some of the work that you incorporated, the methods you used in this paper. Absolutely. So uh, when I said that I am interested in the transmission of infectious diseases, usually we Intend, intend to say how pathogens move in space and time. And that has been such an important factor for COVID-19 that now is like spread everywhere. And we have seen new variants that are rapidly uh, invading new and new places. So what we did here was to analyze time series, basically data over time that was released publicly by the government, the Chilean government, and we use simple methods to uh, try to gain information that might not be available just looking at this data that is available. So, for example, we analyze mortality data, right? So we look at the excess data, the excess death data from Chile, looking at all the possible cases of death. And then we compare those numbers with the numbers that COVID-19, like uh, deaths that are attributed directly to COVID-19. 
And here we define death, uh, excess death, has the difference between what we have observed during 2020 and what we could have observed in 2020 if COVID didn't happen. And for that, we use a very uh, simple method called Gaussian process that takes into account like the normal transmission of this death over time. So the trend that increases in time, but also the seasonal components, how it fluctuates, because we know that for most of the countries in the world, winter tend to have higher number of deaths than during the summer. So we took into account all of this variation, but we said, okay, our expectation for 2020 is very similar to 2019, which a slightly increase that is the same increase that we saw from 2018 to 2019 and so on. So that's one of the methods. And the other was to infer the infection fatality rate, which is the probability of dying due to COVID-19 once you have been infected. So it doesn't relate to those that um, have died because there is more COVID cases. It's the probability that, given that I already have COVID, what's the probability of dying? And before our paper, it was thought that that value was constant. So the probability of dying or was mostly variable due to comorbidities. But what we are showing in our study is that socioeconomic status actually has an impact. And for young people, uh, those that are 40 years old or younger, they have three times a, a, a probability of dying due to COVID that is three times higher mm -hmm. than those living in the rich uh, neighborhoods. And that method is also unique of our study. And it was um, developed using a Bayesian approach. Okay, thank you. So tell us a little bit more about some of the SES factors that you found that were related to excess morbidity or higher rates of morbidity? Mm -hmm. So, well, the socioeconomic status is the one that we considered for, for this study uh, has three aspects. One is income or like household income. The other is like level of education. And the third one is related to access to health. So we knew that because access to health was included in this, uh, we will find some pattern. But even if you take into account just income, though all of these factors are highly correlated. So what we saw, and this was more of like um, an exploratory approach because we did not have access at the individual level. So we only were able to see how the population that has this particular SES behaves or the qualities that they have compared to the number of cases that they have. But we were not able directly to link, oh, this person has died because of COVID and, this per that, and they have like obesity or things like that. So we only compare them data at the population level. And what we found is that low places with low socioeconomic status tend to be more sedentary tend to have higher uh, percentage of, of obese or overweight people um, and also tend to live in more crowded conditions. 
It was interesting though that we did not find any association with the smoking, which has been one of the uh, comorbidities that have been attributed to, to COVID-19. And it might be because people smoke a lot in Chile and they smoke everywhere. Like smoking is not correlated with uh, socioeconomic status. Can you tell us some of the next steps or some of the broader implications of the findings? Yes. So now Chile has been one of like the leaders worldwide in vaccine uptake. Uh, more than 50% of the population has already taken the first dose. However, if you look at the trends, you observe the same pattern that people living in high incomes uh, neighborhoods have a higher vaccination rate than those living in the poor neighborhoods. And the question is why? Is it because they don't have access to get the vaccine because maybe their employees they don't allow them to take a break to go to take the vaccine because they are not doing work from home. They have to go to work and they are doing this type of less flexible jobs that maybe don't have the same opportunities to get the vaccine as other jobs, like people doing other types of jobs. So we, I am interested in trying to understand how these inequalities are now connected to vaccination campaign, whether there is any uh, resistance or like hesitancy related to um, the socioeconomic status. Or in the US, for example, we know that many times immigrants and people that come here to do temporary work don't, don't speak English, don't have access to internet. Where I live in Illinois, you needed to have internet access to schedule an appointment. So there are many barriers that may affect in this. And it's something that I would like to study deeply to understand how ultimately this may affect the transmission, not only of COVID-19, but other infectious diseases. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your research and this information that you found about what's going on in Chile. And kind of zooming back into today, can you tell us what's currently happening in Chile uh, as it relates to COVID-19 infection rates and things? Um, has the vaccine really brought down those rates as mm -hmm. much as it has here in the United States? That's a great question. And the answer is not yet. So we still have a very high number of people in the hospitals. Uh, the mortality rates haven't dropped yet as much as in the US or in Israel that have also been successful with their vaccine campaigns. When, when you talk about this type of diseases, you have to consider that many times there is a lag in between the efficacy of the vaccine and actually getting uh, protected, but not only that, but also the severity of the disease. So for example, someone that is in the hospital today probably was infected three, four weeks ago and started to present symptoms two, three weeks ago and probably a week ago ended up in the hospital. So the contact of the person that is in the hospital today happened probably a month ago. And it's likely that people that are now in the hospital, they're cohort or same age structure, because in Chile it's also 
given by age structure is a age uh, um, is a population that is getting vaccinated currently or like more recently and then you have to wait three weeks until you get the second doses and after that you have to wait over two weeks to get fully protected so if we take into account since the first day of your first uh, doses until you are fully protected it's about six seven weeks so Probably even though today we have a very high uh, vaccine uptake, I think we still need some time to see that effect. And the other component that has impact is the presence of different variants of concern in the country, that probably that has increased the transmission during the summer. In Chile, the summer happens between January and March, and people move a lot. Some of them went out of the like travel abroad and brought with them variants of concern that probably led to a higher transmission rate that is now reflected in high uh, hospitalization rates and therefore mortalities. That kind of connects us to here in the United States, it's May mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. are approaching summer vacation. And I mean, thankfully we do have this large number of people who are vaccinated, the large vaccination rate, and we are preparing to start lifting restrictions. The CDC has said that masks are not required for mm -hmm. vaccinated people, and people are getting ready to travel for the summer. Are there any concerns that internationally we should still be aware of? Absolutely, and I think you touch a very important point because Today in the US, we are encouraging people that are 12 years old to get the vaccine. When we know the risk of dying on those teenagers is very low. And at the same time, we see people in India not having any access to the vaccine almost. So uh, the reality that is happening currently in the US is not the same reality that is happening elsewhere. And the problem with lifting the um, restrictions about the use of masks and things like that will allow also for people that are not vaccinated to put at risk other populations that don't have access to the vaccine. And they, it's not that they don't want to, they just don't have it. So I will say that when that, that needs to take into account and I am surprised about the guidelines that CDC released yesterday. I think they are not the most appropriate right now, but I hope that people still uh, follow what they think is best for the community and not just best for themselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I completely agree with you that the CDC guidance, lack of guidance now, mm -hmm. uh, restrictions, uh, removal of that guidance is surprising and considering the fact that we have the younger folks who are not vaccinated we also have the immunocompromised mm -hmm, communities exactly. that it is still a concern for and internationally as well as also a concern thank you is there any other information or advice that you would like to share during this very important time in our history about the pandemic Yes, and I would like to highlight is something that I mentioned at the end, but uh, that infectious diseases are different from 
non-infectious diseases such as uh, diabetes. In the way that your behavior and your responsibility also affects others in our community. And therefore, if you don't uh, follow what is the best for the rest of us, you need to also take into account that when in the way that you behave in our society. So uh, if there are people that don't want to get vaccinated, please keep wearing masks if that's okay. Like don't put at risk others because you decided to be at risk because at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the day, if you get infected, you will expose people that unfortunately don't have access or cannot get vaccinated, as you mentioned, like those that simply, simply because of their health conditions cannot get vaccinated. So that's something that I would like to say that many people don't understand very well is that why is there a connection between what I do and what, how that impacts the rest of us. Thank you. That's a very important message as we our goal with this podcast is to share information from researchers, from mm -hmm. every even everyday people around the world, sharing examples and stories about the pandemic. We've talked to researchers, we've talked to uh, nanoscientists, we've talked mm -hmm. to MDs about different aspects of the pandemic. So we're sharing this information so that it is translatable, it is understandable even to the public at large. So thank you so much for sharing this very important information as a researcher in infectious diseases. Well, thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for joining us today.